0: Welcome to this edition of Talking HR with Laurie and Lisa, where as always, our goal is to give you a real look at today's HR world through the sharing of experiences, knowledge and inspiring people practices. I'm your host, Lisa Fuller.
1: And I'm Lisa's co-host, Laurie Rolkoff. I've known today's guest for many years and I had the privilege of working for him at the city of Kamloops in BC while he was the CAO and I worked in human resources. And throughout the 37 plus years of his career in BC local and provincial governments, Randy Deal has been a prominent figure. He was with the city of Kamloops for over 20 years, leading the city's corporate strategy to become a top 100 organization. And after his retirement from the city in 2012, he started Deal Management Consultants based in Kamloops. Since then, Randy has served as an interim CAO for local governments in the interior of BC and is a guest faculty member for Capilano University Municipal Training Institute for Leadership and CAO courses. He's also a guest lecturer for the Organizations and Management Mentorship Services for the BC Local Government Management Association. And uh, most uh, exciting is Randy is the author of a book, uh, Serving with Pride in the Public Eye, a story about striving for success in local government. Welcome, Randy. Oh,
2: thanks, Lori. Thank you for that nice introduction.
1: So I'm going to start us off by going back to your roots. Um, You have a bachelor's degree in social work, along with a master's degree in community planning. But your undergrad is, is the degree in social work. So we often say HR can be like practicing social work in the workplace. Do you feel your educational background in social work helped you with the roles you've had as a CAO?
2: I really believe very strongly in that. There were a lot of, uh, a lot of skills I learned and knowledge that I picked up uh, in social work that really uh, helped guide me in, I think, being, uh, being relatively successful, although that's a relative term. Uh, I, I can point to maybe three areas that it really helped me, and one is it, uh, the training I received in uh, psychology and in uh, uh, community dynamics is critical uh, if you're going to work in communities you've got to have that psychology you've got to understand people and you have to understand communities and it gave me that it taught me how to deal with people uh, in a in a positive way most of the time uh, not all of the time rather than in an adversarial manner so i really learned a lot of uh, a lot of knowledge and skills about people in communities the second thing it gave me was uh, communication skills i was trained in group work and individual counseling Uh, and through those processes you really learn on on how to motivate people and help people work effectively together and the third thing and it's becoming more and more critical I think for uh, for professionals in the workplace is how to handle stress and in in social work uh, my training was absolutely critical for that I was a child protection worker had the highest caseload in the province in northern BC. ninety percent of my caseload was First Nations, and I had absolutely no resources. You had to learn pretty quickly uh, and dig deep uh, how to handle all that stress. so those those three areas uh, are absolutely critical, I think, for being successful as a as a professional manager in in the public sector.
1: so I think that that sounds a lot like h r work, too, doesn't yeah, it? Is. <laughs> isn't it? You know, and
2: i i got to add, I think I, I think you and I work quite well together. And I think one of the reasons is that I, I think I had a, a very good understanding of the value of HR in organizations. And that's not always the case. A lot of professional managers come from different backgrounds, engineering, planning, or from, uh, from the finance side. They don't get that people background uh, is not as strong as I think it should be. And so for me, having that perspective on on how to manage people was quite critical in in working with our HR department. And I think we built a heck of a good department over the years.
1: Well, you talked in your book quite a bit about caring about employees as human beings and uh, we should be accessible to them and seek to communicate at, at every effort. How do you think that contributed to your success as a leader by doing those things?
2: Well, you know, it, it it's really not rocket science. Your your job is to motivate people uh, and to get the best you can out of them professionally. When I first became the Chief Administrative Officer, our organization wasn't meeting between departments. Uh, a lot of departments weren't having meetings within themselves. And that just breeds contempt for other departments and a lack of understanding of, of how we can collaborate and cooperate with one another. Uh, Starting in on in in working as the chief administrative officer, I knew that we had to significantly improve our communications between departments and between individuals within the operation. To me that was just it's a no brainer it's not hard to do, but it's a must do if you're going to have a successful organization.
1: Do you see uh, effective leadership different in the public sector from the private sector?
2: yeah i do uh, i think that the in the private sector you're you're motivated by different factors you know you're uh, i think one of the big differences is that the board of directors as opposed to city council or uh thompson or the regional district board members the board of directors is is brought on for their expertise and knowledge about the business that they're involved with in in city council you don't get that in the private sector Uh, There's also multiple goals in the private sector that you have to fulfill, sorry, in the public sector that you have to fulfill. When you think about the range, the incredible range of services that we provide, you don't find that uh, typically in a a company. A company is geared towards uh, a product or a service, maybe a couple of them, and they're geared towards making a profit. We're not oriented towards building, uh, making a profit. In fact, that would be wrong. We're oriented towards providing effective and efficient services. So, lack of experience at the board level uh, and a lack of uh, lack of understanding by by our shareholders and Calos have been 95,000 shareholders of what we do and the complexity of the jobs that we fulfill. And we're not in the business of making money. We're in the business of providing services, and it has to be done in an effective, fiscally responsible way. Those are significant differences in how you lead an organization. If I had one or two goals to fulfill in uh, like they do in the private sector, and I'm I'm over exaggerating to make the point, uh, my job would be a lot easier. And I think the other factor that is really quite important for people to in the public sector to keep in mind, there's not another job in this country that when you drive home every day, you drive by everything that that city or town or region has touched or or created or developed. So the streets that you're on that have been, uh, have been plowed or they've been paved, the pipes under the ground that provide water and sewer to your homes, the playgrounds you go by, all of those are things that the private public sector has had a great deal to do with. And that is a significant source of pride that we see every day. But on, the, on the flip side, it's also something that the public see Every day, and they have opinions about how well you're doing your job, so we really are very much rubbing up against public perception every day that we do our jobs, but I think it's I think it's far better in my mind that's why I stayed in public sector. That you can drive by and see the work the the fruits of your Labor of all of your staff that you're working for and that's something to be really proud of.
0: I love how how you talk about really that connection, Randy, because it mm-hmm. really does create not only a professional connection, but that personal connection for you as an individual and for your staff that work in public sector, because you're so attached to the community. So I, I like how you identify that pride uh, factor, which I I'm not sure you know many citizens in these communities maybe just resonate with um, immediately. I know over the last, like since you have retired, um, you've stepped in as an interim CAO for various local governments, and and since that time too, we've seen definitely a lot more climate change, wildfires, natural disasters, and so on. What have you learned from those leadership experiences? Stepping in in the recent few years, and what kind of things have you had to lead through, and how have you done that?
2: Wow, that's that's a good question. Uh, I think the first thing I've learned is how to be a better chief administrative officer. When you're in the middle of a battle, you rely on your instincts to drive you to do certain things, to manage things in a certain way, and you have a lot of uh, a lot of challenges that are in front of you, and and including a fear of losing your job Uh, what I I think what I've learned uh, since leaving is that chill out a little bit and that comes with maturity and it also comes with a a privileged position of now being a consultant and I'm not so worried about losing my job and and putting bread on the table at home any longer so what I've learned is that I think it's really important to be more important to be professionally uh, up front with with your political masters, than perhaps I was at times throughout my career. Uh, so that that's been a, a big change. And, and I've been able to uh, uh, really incorporate that into my practice. It also helps when you've got a tremendous amount of experience under your belt. Like, like I have now. Uh, and I've got a little bit of silver in my hair that I didn't have before. And uh, I look a little older. And Uh, With that comes the perspective, Oh, he must be wiser, look at all the experience he's got and he's older, so he must know what he's talking about. Uh, That's not always the case, by the way, but that's how people view you when you're younger and you're new into the game or you're just in the middle of your career, you're not necessarily trusted the way you are a little later on. Uh, So I I think uh, with all that experience, I'm able to be a little bit more upfront with politicians. And I think I'm also able to understand uh, some of the challenges that the people who work for me are under far more uh, more so than what I did before, even though I have this social work background, you're in the middle of a battle every day, and I think now I'm able to sit down with people and say, tell me what's going on, and I'm able to help them work that through, uh, as opposed to not having enough time or an inclination towards it or just getting frustrated with people so when you're working through I had to work through the COVID outbreak uh, with the regional district never had any never ever done anything quite like that I don't think anybody else has either Uh, and through a major fire in Logan Lake uh, that was surrounding us and with nobody who had any experience in in dealing with that in the emergency operations center big big learning curves in both situations and I really learned uh, how to keep people on board and get them to listen to you and then you to listen to them. So those are big changes. And I wish I'd done a little bit more of that when I was the chief administrative officer.
1: So in your book, Randy, which you published in 2016, you wrote that you wanted to provide hope and guidance to administrators and their political partners. Um, What are you seeing right now in the local government environment that appears to be their greatest HR related challenge?
2: Over and over again, I see mistakes being made and the wrong people being hired uh, and then uh, no uh, management of those people in terms of uh, performance reviews and, uh, and making sure that that is done on a regular basis. The other thing that I see on the flip side is the, uh, is the professionals out there. I see professionals that uh, perhaps are getting into positions too early in their career or they're, uh, they're in their position and it goes to their heads and they uh, they need to manage themselves more effectively and they're not they don't uh, there was one that uh, got hired and he's got a closed door policy and i'm and i'm just shocked by it like how what century are we in here uh, and i see a lot of that and there's no mentorship with a lot of those people That right now when i first started working in the public sector there were 20 jobs uh, at any given point in in the province Today, uh, you looked yesterday, there are 500 local government jobs, local government only that doesn't include the federal government or the provincial government that's strictly local government 500 jobs in British Columbia. That's a paradigm shift in terms of the number of people looking for work that's caused by the baby boomers like me retiring. Population growth and a lot more responsibilities and programs being dumped on local governments that were never there before, so the demand for services is higher and there's more jobs available for people out there. So there's a lot of newcomers getting into the jobs that aren't properly trained. Uh, They don't continue their training later, they get the title and they think that's it and it's not. I think uh, you gotta read, you gotta go to conferences, you gotta take courses, You you need to continually learn every day that you're working about new ways of doing business and keep an open mind. I think I wrote the book because of that, because I saw people Getting into their jobs and not extending themselves to, to learn uh, new things and to and to listen to people that maybe have more experience than what they had. I think that's pretty important that people understand that that it's just the beginning and it's a lifelong venture uh, of learning uh every day. And going to con- professional conferences is one thing, but taking courses and, and, and developing, honing down your skills is a totally different matter altogether. Conferences just don't cut it
0: yeah i agree i think the world is evolving so regularly and you know you have to be adaptable and flexible and and the pandemic really i think awoke many people in in that manner to you know always be learning whether you're learning new technology skills because we've all become very proficient with technology um, more so and recruiting is becoming very hard for all employers and in the past public sector, I think used to have a bit of security around it. You would get good pay, you get good benefits, good pension plans, but now the world's really anybody's oyster. Um, they can live anywhere, work anywhere on their own schedule, on their own you know, time. What, what do you suggest for local governments to really help with maybe the recruitment challenge and what strategies would you use if you were going back or, or giving advice to a young CAO or, or somebody entering that profession?
2: Big question. I, I don't have uh, a lot of tools in my kit to, to, uh, to suggest major shifts other than uh, have a well-designed interview process. So people who are applying for upper level jobs need to know how to write. They need to know how to speak and do presentations off the cuff. Uh, they need to uh, have a variety of really in-depth questions asked of them, so that it's not just, you know, tell me what your strengths and weaknesses are. That's an easy one. Everybody's aware of it and everybody's prepared for that one. And I think one of the things that uh, I did at the regional district in Logan Lake recently was I had involved the the staff in the interview process. So uh, we had staff appointed. Um, that would sit upwards of about 10 staff and so we would uh, the Council and and I would interview the candidates separately, and then the candidate would get interviewed by the staff. And it was really a fascinating process uh, that and we compare scores and it was a fascinating process and a good dialogue that happened afterwards, And when you think about it. The staff are the ones that have to work with these people and they need to feel that there's a good fit. Uh, personality-wise, and and they need to have an opportunity to have a say, but I'm interested in knowing what they have to say, and in both those cases, there was some valuable uh, exchanges of information between the, the decision-makers, the politicians, and the staff, and I think that's a great way to go uh, in terms of understanding it.
1: So, Randy, what would you suggest for someone who's thinking about a career in the public sector, or possibly becoming a CAO at some point?
2: Yeah, uh, interesting question. Um, First of all, I think you've got to really want to do it and you've got to really understand the challenges that are out there for you don't just step in there thinking this is going to be a piece of cake. And you know I don't mean to demean people but i've seen private sector people uh, step into the public sector thinking it's going to be a piece of cake and they very quickly learn that it's not and they don't last. So, and I've also seen public sector people do the same thing at the lower levels apply for upper level jobs and find out this is pretty demanding of my time. uh, And I don't want to give it so be aware of the of the challenges of the position both emotionally. uh, Socially and psychologically on you and the impact it's going to have on you and your family before you start thinking about doing it so talk to uh, talk to your network and talk to other CAOs about what it's like that's number one. I think the other thing is don't go for the money. I've seen so many young people go for the money and they take jobs on that they're totally unhappy with. Well, that's not going to make them very rich in their lives and they're going to fail eventually if that's what they're doing. And don't be afraid to take that risk. Sometimes you have to take a backward step to move forward. In a lot of ways, I wish as a CAO that I'd had a senior management experience in a smaller smaller town and had a broader understanding of the organization uh, as a whole. Because in larger centers, you, you're, you're gonna be honeycombed in, in one particular sector, and you won't understand all of the uh, services that are being provided. So it's, it's a great training ground. I think those are the key things. Uh, just be aware of what you're applying for and don't make assumptions. Talk to people about what it's like in that field. Do
1: you have any um, special mentors or someone who pointed you to the direction of a local government career?
2: No, um, I, I, mine was accidental. I was with the provincial government and they kept moving me around. I ended up in Victoria, which I didn't want to be. And I saw a job come up in uh, Kamloops, uh, which I had lived there before. And uh, it was in the community planning department, which I had no urban planning experience at all. So I took a risk, applied for it and got the job and my learning curve went sky high. Like I just was pants on fire for a good three, four years. And all of the rest of the experiences I had working for the provincial government came to play and really helped me through. But um no, it was it was like a lifestyle choice. I, I don't like big cities. I like small towns. I want to know my neighbors and I want to walk down Main Street and say hello to people. In the big cities you never could do that. So uh, I thought I would take one to live in camels or something like Camels took a risk and uh, went back and, and worked in local government in in urban planning field uh, and uh, was successful in getting a job and the rest is history.
0: That's awesome and I'm, I'm going to take you back maybe to your role as CAO of City of Kamloops Randy and um, some of the work you did with respect to the top 100 strategy. And my understanding, and Lori worked there with you, obviously, but you took a different approach to not only union relations, but building a respectful workplace, maybe before that, you know, the time like we are in today's environment, that that is absolutely mandatory and required and, and expected, and a focus on employee wellness, you know, you did it lead like much more in a leading fashion than maybe you were earlier than others so maybe tell us a little bit more about that and things that you did to really make a difference in a city's city employees life and their overall wellness
2: well I guess I guess first of all uh, being a social worker first and a planner and an administrator second I really cared about people and I cared about my community and I think that has to be the fundamental that drove me Uh, And I saw practices in in the City of camels organization before I became a director and then before I became a a CAO that were not respectful uh, of people and the the overall organization. Uh, And then suddenly one day I woke up and found myself being the chief administrative officer and responsible for changing all that. And so I drew deeply on, on those fundamentals that I wanted to make a better workplace. I wanted to have better relationships, uh, and I wanted to build a sense of pride in the organization that the organization cared about you and you need to care about the organization. So we just started developing the program called Top 100 it actually came out of the Maclean's magazine Top 100 organizations is where I picked up the, the term. But when we adopted it, actually, HR did the research and we adopted not the Maclean's one, although we did run Maclean's and we got it, I think, three times top 200. But we ran the other program excellence canada and uh, it took it it was very in-depth and very complex and it made a lot of changes in our organization as to how we do business Uh, and we're evaluated by a lot of private sector people who are who are experts in their field i think it, it, it was drawn out of a out of a sense of i wanted to make a better place for my my uh my workers and my community to be in i think the wellness program was more personal You know, I saw my father work in in one of the largest corporations in Canada, he had a heart attack in the 60s, another one in the 70s. And then he was basically, uh, during those heart attacks, uh, the family had absolutely no income coming into into the family. And I witnessed that as a young man uh, in in a boy, and uh, I thought this is crazy, like, how can a large corporation not care about this man who's given 35 years of his life here? And I thought that I don't want my employees to feel that way. I want them to be proud of the work they do. And I want us to look after them. And I want to give them a respectful compensation for the work that they do. And I want my citizens to respect them as well. It's it's interesting that that, uh, you can come up with terms like we want to be a top 100 or we want uh, a wellness program, but it wasn't me who created it. Uh, I might've thought the idea up originally and and drove the staff that we've got to do this, but it was the staff like Lori who, uh really made uh, particularly the wellness works program work it wasn't me I just went this is great keep it keep going uh, so I can't take credit for it I can only take uh, have a perspective that that's the direction we need to go in it's the it's the a strong HR department that actually makes it happen and and draws in other uh leaders in the organization to support them
1: well you definitely have to have that uh that leadership too Randy um Around supporting the staff to have those programs uh, be successful and for them to last, yeah. you know, in, and that they're not just uh, an HR fad coming through the organization at the time. And, uh, you yeah. know, certainly we had that at the city with your leadership there, uh, particularly for the wellness program. But I'm saying that because I was involved in it. You
2: <laughs> we were, yeah, it was a great program.
1: Um, So I I just want to take you back to your book uh, again. Uh, In the last chapter of your book, you talk about your experience of becoming um, thin-skinned. That's a quote Mm -hmm. from your book. And knowing when it's time to leave your role as leader of the organization. That can be a real tough decision for people, knowing when it's time. Um, What would be your advice to someone who's struggling with that decision right now?
2: Yeah. You know, it's always in hindsight easy to look uh, at others who have stayed too long and what happens to them emotionally uh, when they are suddenly unceremoniously kicked out of the organization because they stayed too long. And so I had the benefit of seeing some of my peers go through that and I, I vowed to myself, there is no way I want that to happen to me, I want to walk out of this organization on my own two feet not at the foot of somebody kicking me through the door. So that was sort of a critical thing for me. But having said that, it is difficult to recognize uh, when you're getting thin-skinned. And I think one of the aha moments I had was uh, somebody came into my office and they said, I have got a great idea. Let's do such and such this way. I can't quite recall all the details, but I do remember the emotions behind it. And I looked at them and I said, Absolutely not, we've been doing it this way for years and years and years, and we're not going backward, we're not gonna do that, we're, everything's working just fine. And that staff person was deflated, walked out of the office. And I started to reflect on, you've become thin-skinned, you've stopped listening, and you're, you're behaving the exact same way that people behaved with you as a young man coming into an organization, suggesting change, and the way you got treated was exactly that way. And you didn't like it then, so what makes you think the staff are going to like that? So it was a real ha-ha moment for me that the organization had become me. And it was time for a change. It was time for me to leave. Uh, and that was tough. But having said that, it, it was easy for me to do so because I had such a great benefit package. I could go out the door with a, with a really nice pension and, and in a respectful way. Uh, lots of other people don't have those choices. They, they can be in an organization their whole life. They still got a family they have to support and it's not easy to leave uh, i think there are some key factors in recognizing uh when it is time to leave and and some of the ones that come to mind is that you can become bored bored uh, bored with your with the things that you're doing complacency is another one where you're happy with the way things are going and you're not prepared to make changes just like that young person coming in and suggesting a change I had become complacent, and that's not healthy for any organization. Organizations need to continually be in a state of, of change, not stochastic change, but change that is intelligent, moving forward, and is reasoned out. Uh, so complacency is a really dangerous uh, thing. We, we're, we're the best, so we don't have to make a change is a common refrain. And I guess I, I think uh, uh, when you get tired and you're bored, you you suddenly start barking at people that you shouldn't be doing that. And finally, there are political signals out there uh, that that you need to pick up on. So those are some signals for, for people as individuals to pay attention to. Uh, and I certainly uh, experienced them and I knew it was time for me to go. It was not only financially time for me to go, it was emotionally time for me to go.
0: Having that awareness is so important um, as well, because I think it even as individuals, no matter what stage of our career, we can continue learning and growing and sometimes having that self-awareness mm-hmm. to leave one role in an organization, no matter what stage of career you're at, and then moving on to do new and different things also can reinvigorate ourselves. And it doesn't mean that you have to stop contributing. It just means maybe it looks a little little different as well.
2: Yeah, I think uh, self awareness is uh, is a pretty important tool for uh, for for being uh, a manager, a senior manager, or a manager in our, in an operation uh, because we're being we're being pressurized so much. You need to be very self aware of how that's affecting you, uh, your workers, and uh, and your family, and the people that you report to.
1: So, Randy, when you look back now, all all the years you've had in the public service, and, and what. To what extent has your experience matched the expectations that you had as that person oh, coming into? I
2: had a wonderful career, Laurie. Um, I have no regrets for any of it. I mean, I, as a young man, 24 years old, having to apprehend uh, children and make life and death decisions, that was really tough, but boy, what a great experience that was. Uh, I also worked in uh, with prisoners families in Vancouver and wondered every day I walked into a house whether or not someone was going to kill me. Mm. Um, it, it, it it there, and then working in, in fields that I had no knowledge about like in community planning. I'm I, I have a master's degree in in regional planning, but uh, in resource management planning, but not community planning. And so I took a risk and and worked in there and and just had to change the all of the zoning bylaws in the city of camels. Uh, what a great experience that was. Was it stressful? Absolutely. It was hugely stressful. I wondered every day whether or not I was doing the right things. For me, it was my career has changed a lot over the years. I've worked as a park ranger, a social worker, uh, social housing planner, uh, community planner, uh, and a CAO and a director of development services. Every one of those have been wonderful challenges, very stressful. Uh, But I managed to get through it, and I had a lot of support from home uh, and from my friends and family, so uh, my expectations were far, far exceeded. Uh, uh, I feel like really one of the lucky people in the world.
0: That's wonderful. Thank you for spending some time with us chatting about your career and your experiences, I know our listeners will just get so much value from that. And I think you you were a little ahead of the game looking at leadership of people really from a human approach, being inclusive, helping others uh, belong. And, you know, I think, think that's what the world needs um, yeah, is you. good leadership skills in, in just treating people as, as human beings and respecting them.
2: Mm -hmm. thank you that's nice of you to say that
0: so we'd like to
1: um refer our listeners to randy's website it's randydealconsulting.com if you'd like to know more about randy um, that's where you can reach him and uh, thank you very much randy it was a it was really great to talk to you today and i always appreciated your your honesty and frankness (laughs) in our conversations (laughs) and today was no exception
2: well, oh, uh, thank you for asking me, Laurie and Lisa. It's uh, it's a pleasure, and uh, I hope uh, I hope I've been able to help someone somewhere out there.